Spenwood Books is a publisher in Manchester in the UK, which specializes in books about music, but they're done in a particular way. The man behind them is Richard Houghton. So what's the idea, Richard? So the idea is to try and tell a band's story through people's memories. So an oral history, if you like. And I first did a book in this way back in 2015, which was about the Rolling Stones in the Brian Jones era, i.e. in the 1960s. And the reason why I decided to do it was because unlike today, where you go to a concert and people have their smartphones out and they are filming it and it's on YouTube before you even get home, back in the 1960s, people went to a concert and possibly they wrote something in their diary or possibly they went home and told their family about it or their mates down the pub. But that was it. That memory never went anywhere else. So I thought it would be nice to try and capture people's memories of the Rolling Stones in the 1960s and did a shout out via various local newspapers to get people to come forward and tell me about their memories of seeing Mick and Keith and the boys and capture those memories while people were still around to tell them. So that's why how I did the first book. And that book about the Stones generated lots of stories about the Beatles at the same time. And then I was on a roll and it was a case of this. Actually, this is quite a nice way of recording a little bit of musical history, but also a little bit of social history as well. Yeah. Have you done the Yardbirds yet? I haven't done the Yardbirds yet. No. Memo. You should do the Yardbirds. Okay. But, you've, but you've just done a new book called Gonna See All My Friends. Tell me about it. So this is a book about Fairport Convention. And this came about because I was commissioned earlier this year to do a book about Jethro Tull, which had the blessing, has the blessing of Ian Anderson and his management. And as part of researching that book, I interviewed Dave Pegg, who, of course, was the bass player with Jethro Tull for a number of years. And as a parting shot to Peggy, as we were winding up the interview, I said, if you ever want to do a book about Fairport, give me a shout. And he said he was very interested in the idea. So I sent him a book that Spenwood had published, which is one I did last year, which is a similar book about cream and he loved it and he said i'd love you to do a book about fairport in exactly the same way same size book telling people's stories and bringing together the memories of fairport over the last 55 years and it's cool Can we have it out the crop ready he said <laughs> and i said absolutely not <laughs> and it's called gonna see all my friends which is a quote from Meet on the Ledge, the yeah. uh, Richard Thompson penned anthem to Enduring Friendship. That title was suggested by Nigel, who's the Fairport historian. And Simon asked RT if he would be happy for us to use that title, which he gave his blessing to. Hence, we've gone with that with that title. So it's a people's history of Fairport Convention. Now, you mentioned Dave Pegg, known to one and all as Peggy, and his story about seeing Fairport Convention for the first time is in this book. And it was on his 22nd birthday that he saw them. So he wasn't in there from the very beginning. No, that's right. And he saw them at Mother's Club in um, Erdington in Birmingham, 
with his then wife Christine, who also has a little story in the book about being yeah. that gig. So yeah, Peggy's story in the book is about seeing them as a as a fan, if you like, as a spectator. And he was 22, and a few days ago, he turned 75. So this is a long story, isn't it? This is a long-standing band. It is. I mean, they've been going, it will, well, it must be 55 and a half years now, because yes. the memories of the very first show that they played are in the book, which goes back to May 1967. And, and obviously, they had a bit of a hiatus for a few years where they weren't actually technically still together as a band and clearly like a lot of acts they've been through a person personnel change or two but we've got simon and we've got peggy who are the two long-standing members who between them have got um continuous membership of the band and the book um covers concerts throughout the years that people have sent me memories of which includes different lineups when swab was in the was in the band for example coming up to the present day in the most recent um, shows they've done, including the Crop Ready Festival in August 2022. And this is a band that's changed its personnel, but it's changed everything else as well. When I first heard about them, I thought they were going to be a sort of British Jefferson airplane. I thought they were going to be British West Coast, that sort of Californian rock. Yes, and one of the people who kindly agreed to be interviewed for the book is Joe Boyd, who was obviously their producer in the early days and who worked on some of the, the early albums that you're referencing in terms of their style. And I suppose I mean, there are lots of books about Fairport and people can read lots of material about them to understand a bit more about their genesis. But that's covered in this book as well. It's It's about how Sandy and Richard in particular were writing songs and how Ashley and others were sort of referencing older material and going back through the what was there over the previous centuries that had been written and saying, let's rework this song, let's record this. So that evolution from that West Coast sounding band on the early album is there in the book and, and people's memories of seeing them evolve in concert as well. Now, it seems to me that one of the biggest changes in Fairport was when Dave Swarbrick came in with the fiddle sound. And that happened because of Joe Boyd, didn't it? That's right. I think they wanted some fiddle on one of the albums. And Swarb was obviously had recorded and was working. I think he was working with Martin Carthy at the Carthy, time. Yeah. And so he was he was known for what he could do and he came into the studio and did it and I think they were all very impressed so when they thought about expanding the lineup and possibly having a fiddle player involved I think Swarb was the obvious person to ask and he chimed the, the, the Swarb sound really chimed good and loud with the fans they took any Fairport fans took him to their heart. I think. I think that's right, and, and obviously, one of the things that comes through the book is the fact that Fairport have never acted like superstars. They've never cut themselves off from their fans. They've always been very approachable. They always always go out and talk to people after the the gig, although it's not always been that easy in recent times because of COVID and 
various restrictions. And I think that whole down-to-earth manner is what has endeared them to people over the years. And I think Swab's personality was part of that because he's a larger-than-life character, as indeed they all are. You know, they're all, they're all very nice people. And they put the music at the forefront and people's love of their music and love of them comes from their their attitude to that that we are performers here to entertain you we want you to enjoy the music we're playing and swab i was at once at um a party to celebrate his wedding his marriage again and he endearingly made a speech and he'd forgotten how many times he'd been married um it could happen to anybody i suppose uh, but as he as he aged that fiddle seat became uh vacant for somebody else now it was this recognized as a trauma in the band well i think all the the i've obviously had a number of traumas in the band's history, you know, going back to when, um, well, I suppose almost back to when Judy was asked to leave the, the band, the, the very first female singer. Yeah, Judy Dibel, who, yes. Yeah. And it, well, it certainly, I think it was, from my reading of it, it, was certainly traumatic from Judy's point of view because she didn't see it coming and didn't particularly seem to appreciate how, how the oh. news was broken to her. <laughs> Although different people who were involved sort of have different recollections of that. And obviously Sandy's involvement with the band and her leaving. This and Sandy Denny, the great Sandy Denny. Was also traumatic, you know, and obviously her, her early death was a trauma for the band too. Martin's um, the, the, death. The, the, the drummer uh, who died. The drummer in the... who died in the road accident along with... Um, Richard's then girlfriend, you know, it was, you know, the band have suffered a series of lineup changes which weren't necessarily of their choice. But I think Richard Thompson choosing to leave was a was a trauma. I think Ashley choosing to leave was a trauma. Simon choosing to leave. I mean, you know, the, in a way, <laughs> yes. it's, it is quite remarkable that the band are still going and, you know, still have solid foundations given what they went through in the very early years. There's a, I've got a copy of an early Pete Frame rock family tree that he used to draw showing yeah. know, different lineups of the band. And I think he's, it goes through about 10 different iterations of the band in, in three years. But I'm just thinking of the sound. I mean, there was Trevor Lucas who came in. Um, when I first saw Trevor, he was singing Australian sheep shearing songs. And uh, I was at a gig and he left his jacket, which I wore for quite some time. But when he joined them, that was something. But I'm thinking about when Rick, Rick Sanders had been in Soft Machine, which was a jazz outfit. And um, he's still play he's still playing blues when he's not with um, Fairport and jazz, and he's darn good. But he's not like Swab, um, so the band had to sort of mutate a bit. It did, it did, and I think the the bottom line is that you've still got Peggy, who, as we talked about, as it wasn't there from the very beginning, but has been there for more than 50 years and band have had 
DM, and then more recently they've you know had another drummer whose name escapes me. This precise. You mean um, Jerry? You mean? Yeah, yeah, Jerry, and um, of course has recently decided to to step away from the band, and I believe DM's actually going to be doing the tour. This is the, the great. Yeah, this is the great Dave Mattox, who is a stonking drummer, absolutely stonking. So it's 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 no great tragedy to see him back. And I've heard people say that having the rhythm section of Peggy and DM, as he's always known, is really good. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. That that solid foundation behind the band is what's kept them together. And so, so yes, Swarb leaving was was obviously quite a dramatic change for the band but part of their longevity i suppose is their willingness to adapt to their sound part of their success has been the fact that they seek out songs and they will they're quite happy to cover other people's material rather than always trying to write their own and and therefore being musical magpies, which you know I yes. <laughs> mean as a compliment, not as not in any way to sort of denigrate what they do, is the sign of a successful act. You know, other acts have done done similar things, and and often it's not about writing your own material; it's about covering other people's songs, but making it sound like your material. Well, that that is the greatest compliment you can play pay a songwriter. Really, that you can take their song and actually do it in a different way. Now, I'm going to move into a difficult area, Richard. When this band started, they were young, and the people that they attracted were young. They played at the underground sort of clubs. Um, at one time, Richard Thompson gigged with Jimi Hendrix. You know, this this was a young, thrusting, rather revolutionary underground band. Now, I'm only guessing... But as you talk to their fans now, did they tend to be the more mature person? It tended to be, but they weren't exclusively. Um, And actually one of the most endearing things that came out of talking to people is how many younger people have become fans of Fairport, partly as a result of being introduced to them perhaps through their parents, so going to Crop Ready as, as kids. For example, Tristan, their road yes. manager, yes. <laughs> you know, was a seven-year-old uh, Fairport Convention fan, and he tells his story in the book about how he would get to meet the band after shows when he went with his mum and dad, and they remembered him, not least because he was a good 25, 30 years younger than, than, than most of the other people they were talking to after the shows. Uh, so, knew, yeah. And you now well, have the new a... blood is there, and they're not. Again, you know, this isn't. They're not an old fogies band. They might have a lot of more mature fans, as as indeed a lots of other established acts who've been around for many years. But they have got a new generation of, of fans, and I think that's reflected in some of the stories, particularly towards the end of the book, where it's people who've only discovered Fairport or only discovered Crop Ready in the last few years, and now it's become an annual fixture and part of their calendar a lot several people said the same thing which is that the first two things that go in their diary for the following year are what they're doing at christmas and what they're doing at crop ready because crop ready would become an annual family reunion or where lots of friends would gather 
and Cropridi, it is very particular. It's, it's a very particular thing. But you have to remember, they hosted Al, um, uh, Alice Cooper at one point. You know, yes, they had Lonnie Donegan, but having Alice Cooper in the mix was seemingly quite brave. But I think it's the reason why Cropridi is, is successful that they've, I mean, they've obviously expanded from one night to two nights, now to three nights. And been willing to sort of invite other people on because if, if it was just a festival that focused on folk acts and that quite narrow sector, maybe some of those younger fans wouldn't be such big fans of Fairport. But it, you know, they're opening doors to other people and giving giving people a wider experience and you know and people in the book talk about how fantastic Alice Cooper was. Alice Cooper must have found it quite difficult yeah, quite yes. to be performing to a completely different audience who weren't all wearing leather jackets and with fake blood dripping down their chins. <laughs> but you talk about the people you spoke to. There's young one young promoter called Deb who says she went along and she I didn't get it at all. I really didn't like it. And now she's married to Simon Nichols. So when you go to a gig, you never know what's going to happen really. That's very true. That's very true. <laughs> and you must have immersed. This is a major book. It's 300 and odd pages. You must have immersed yourself. Now, there are various iterations of this band. Which one do you instinctively go to? Well, I've got Full House and I've got Legion Leaf you know, on vinyl. And um, I suppose that era of the band for me is the is the one that's most precious but you know i've i've seen fairport I mean, the first time i saw fairport was on the 4th of august 1979 which was meant to be their penultimate ever concert when they were on the bill opening at nebworth park where led zeppelin were headlining that day and obviously fairport then flew off by helicopter to play what was meant to be their last ever gig later that day but I've seen them another four times over the years. And I've seen Richard Thompson, well, it must be 20 plus times over the years. So, you know, it, it's that's the other part of it. The, the, the branches of Fairport do extend fair and wide. And they've had an influence on so many people and and given opportunities to so many people in so many different ways. That's That's part of the part of the charm the fairport family is massive and sometimes people don't realize quite how what their influence has been and um i have, have followed them over the years and known them but um not that long ago i put them on i put them on as a promoter and this is another dimension that comes out you put them on and they're no trouble they don't start you know asking for smarties with all the pink ones taken out or something they just come and they're friendly and they do the job and then they go away and i think that's great and and i would imagine that their audience is there it's just you know you say fairport are playing and people flock, people show up flock. yeah yeah because they know what they're going to get and and they look forward to it and it's a Again, it's part of the beauty of having been around for 55 years. You know your audience, your audience knows you, and they are part of the firmament. You know, they are. <laughs> establishment's not 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 always 
viewed as a, as a nice thing to say, but they are part of the establishment in a good way. They're part of the furniture in a good way. They're part the of the way The Rolling Stones are, or, you know, bands like the Kinks, you know, they've just been around for so long. They are part of what we're used to, part of modern culture. You've invented Spenwood books, Richard. Is it great fun for you? It looks from the outside as if it is. looks like the perfect job. I love it. I love I love talking to people and I love hearing people's stories. And, you know, I've learned an enormous amount about Fairport in the last nine months. I learned a lot about Jethro Tull doing the book about them, which you know, coincidentally has come out through a different publisher at just about the same time. And, you know, it was lovely to talk to Peggy. You know, Peggy is a is a really nice person, as anybody who's ever met him will know. And, you know, has a very very warm nature and he's such a nice guy and and i think that's what i was really struck by which is that you hear so many stories about people in the business being prima donnas you know the not only the not wanting the pink smarties but you know in order to talk to their public and being really difficult to deal with peggy is the absolute opposite of that you know and it's great that he's managed to make a, a living as a professional musician but I'm sure if he was running your local bread shop, he'd be equally <laughs> equally nice to people because he's just such a nice guy. Well, you know, I'm really grateful to him for giving me the opportunity to do the book. And they all are. Going to see all my friends, A People's History of Fairport Convention, assembled by Richard Houghton, published by Spenwood Books. Richard, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you, David.